Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember having an impact on you as a young kid? Uh, I, honestly, I really wanted a pair of kangaroos. I remember wanting a pair of kangaroos, and and that then I went to Nike. I I don't remember the br- the bridge in between, but um, you know, I remember I was literally talking about Nike flight lights the other day. You know, I was probably really young, and I I wanted the kangaroos, and there was like they had a place where like stored a quarter which is crazy. And I was like super into that. Um, but you know, honestly, um, it didn't take me long to be into Nike hoop shoes and I love hoop and, and I love basketball. So like that was, you know, it, it's the same today. They're synonymous with each other. So I, I love sports and Nike was always present there. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it. And the profits follow for seven years. I was the global marketing officer for Procter and Gamble where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Jed Berger, the global chief marketing officer for Foot Locker Inc., the purveyor of sportswear and sneakers with about $7.5 billion from its operations in 27 countries. Foot Locker Inc. is actually a portfolio brand company with brands such as Champs, East Bay, Sidestep, and Kids Foot Locker that flank the flagship brand Foot Locker. And coming out of COVID, the company's sales are surging. My guest Jed has been at Foot Locker for 10 years, and he is on a relentless quest to continually reinvent the company and himself. Foot Locker stock price has tripled in the 10 years Jed has been with the company. Jed is a sports-loving dad. His dream is to manage the Boston Red Sox someday. And he loves the smell of new sneakers. This is my conversation with Jed Berger. Hey, Jed. Welcome to the CMO Podcast. We had originally scheduled this podcast just as the pandemic was hitting in early 2020. And just as you were named Global Marketing Officer, at Foot Locker after being North America CMO for about three years. So I want to know, are you more relaxed now than you would have been back in early 2020? Uh, definitely not. Um, I don't know if that is because of the new job or just the overarching landscape or just life uh, in, itself, in itself. Um, but I wouldn't call myself more relaxed. I would say that I am a, uh, I would say that I am a human being with balance and perspective, and uh, and I do have the ability to separate uh, work from from home. So that's helpful. Super. How are you a different leader now, Jed, than the Jed I would have spoken to back in early 2020 after going through the last 16, 17 months? I think I always try to be someone with um, empathy and, uh, like I talked about before perspective. And, uh, I think that's been, and, and, and I should also add someone with self-awareness. Uh, 
Um, so I think those are things that have been helpful as we've gone through the last 16, 17 months. Uh, I've also learned, uh, I, I have learned uh, an incredible amount that I think I've applied to, to, um, my work life and, and, you know, I, I think that teams or zoom in this case, life style has really forced, um, the cross-functional communication even more than it already was. And I'd say that, that, um, you know, I tell people all the time that cross-functional communication and, and the, and the art of bringing people along is a skill, not just in Foot Locker Inc., um, which is a phenomenal company, but in, in, in all, in small or midsize or, or bigger corporations. Um, and I, I, I think that my, Ability to be a better cross-functional communicator and to bring along a whole lot of global entities uh, has has improved. You know, um, you know the the chief marketing role um, is as much of a of an influencer role in the organization as it is anything else, and that took some time to learn, and I'm still learning about that. I, I make far less decisions in this job than I do, uh, than I, than I have in previous, um, jobs, but I influence many, many more significant decisions in this job than I, than I did previously. And that, that, that's a significant, um, learning. And, and when you're going through issues of COVID or, um, or, the, the, um, incredibly intense social issues that have happened over the last 18 months, uh, you, you know, you really have to apply all of those cross-functional empathetic and skills and perspective, um, to your everyday work life as well as your personal life. So I've learned a lot about how to do that. When I was CMO at PNG, it was a, it was an influence job and I grew up, you know, doing brands and business units as you did. How did you adjust to that? How did you move from, you know, being sort of a line manager, making decisions, putting things into the market, supporting things, working yeah. with creators to this global job, which, you know, is, is an influence job. How did you, how did you become good at that? Well, I think first of all, I was ready. You know, I, I believe that I, I believe I was ready. And I also believe that the company was ready. I think that it was, it was a really pot. So I first became, I was the head of, I was the head of marketing for Foot Locker, Kids Foot Locker and Lady Foot Locker. And, and to your point, my, my job was to, to go to market and my team was to go to market and we, we had daily decisions that we had to make. And, um, and we were camp, we were in campaign mode all the time. And, you know, and, and prioritization mode all the time, but micro priorities. And, you know, when you're footlocker, it's an interesting situation because there's so many products that you're launching all the time. And what priority number one is to some people is priority number 37, maybe to you, but you really do need to, to get them done. And, and that's, and that's a very tactical approach. So, so I, I think it was, um, I think it was a good thing for me I think I was ready to be a little bit more higher level and strategic. And I think the organization was ready for a new tactical approach and a new strategic approach at the everyday Foot Locker North America world. So 
Um, so I, I think that that's the first and foremost. I, I think the company and myself were, were both ready. And, and again, I, I say, I say this all the time too, you know, the, the company expects you to be ready. They might, a, a company may not plan for your career, but they certainly expect you to be ready for the next move in your career. Um, and I think that that, I think that worked really well in the timing and between what Foot Locker Inc. needed and probably what I personally needed for the next step in my, in, in my journey. Before we get too far into this podcast, Jed, you've also been a podcast host, I discovered as I researched your life. So, and you had a really good co-host. So could you tell I us did. a bit about your experience oh, as a podcast host with your co-host? So I, I have to tell you something. I really uh, respect your research because nobody has ever asked me this. Like, legitimately, like, except for my few friends who know, who know about this. Um, it, you know, it's funny. So for, there was a, there was a while where I, so I have two boys, my older son, um, who is, continues to be my, my best friend in the world. He's now almost 17. And, um, you know, one thing about having a, a, a kid somewhat young is you kind of grow up together and we're, and we're still best of friends. And, um, so anyway, we had a we had a, we started a podcast together when he was young. We called it Sunday's Burglars. Okay, we did over a hundred episodes. Wow! And um, you know, it, it was. I wish he would still do it with me, but he's uh, he's gone teen on me. And um, they were short. Just every Sunday night, we would get, we would talk about. I would try to, of course, talk about life, and he would, of course, try to talk about like wrestling, WWE wrestling, and sports and. Um, but you know, you know, I, it was really good. You know, I have another, I have another little boy with special needs. And, um, so it was a good way of, uh, of, of ex sort of exploring life together and sort of talking through what was going on and seeing him grow up. And, uh, it was, it was a special, I mean, it, it, it still is a special time, but the pot, I, the Sunday's burglars podcast, which we did put on, um, on iTunes and, we made it pretty official, so it was it was it was really cool. It's still out there. <laughs> Should I? Well, I found it's a it. little old, but listen, listen. It's, there's my self promotion. Please look up Sunday's Burglars. We did a hundred episodes, <laughs> and if you if you love a conversation between a father and like an eleven year old boy, go for it. My guess is Deloitte did not sponsor that podcast. Yeah, you know, we shockingly didn't have a sponsor. I yeah. we did joke all the time that we had millions and millions of listeners. Uh, we really had my mother. <laughs> Period. Yeah, <laughs> there's a few more than that, but I get it. Hey, Jed, I want to start before jumping into your career with a, a big strategy question. And, you know, you've been in the sneaker category in one way, shape, or form for all of your career, I would say. Mm -hmm. And it's a category that's had a growth rate that others would envy. I mean, a crazy mm -hmm. growth rate. And even the next five years are projected to grow, what, 7% a year. And that doesn't happen by accident. So could you reflect a bit for our listeners who are working in categories that they would love to stimulate and grow? What have you learned by being a part of this and a leader in it, in a category that, that very, very few categories in the world have grown at this, at this clip for the last 20 years and are projected to grow for the next five or 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I ultimately have worked in either basketball or sneakers in some way or sports in some way, shape or form. And they're, and they're all extremely connected and, and they move together 
first of all. Um, and you know, I, I, I think that it were, I, first of all, I should say, thank you, sneakers. Uh, thank you, sneaker culture. Um, I, I feel very fortunate that sneaker culture is such a, a passion point, um, of youth culture and, and, um, and the youth culture mindset, because it goes way beyond young people, to be totally honest with you. Uh, and you know, I think there's a ton of reasons there's incredible stories and design and art that's rooted in. So there's, there's tons of pieces of culture that is rooted in sneaker design. Um, and it's, it's also, it's, it's also a very accessible culture. And for the most part, sneakers, you know, where, you know, sneakers, I'm not saying sneakers are cheap, but they're accessible. Right. And they're a piece of culture and a piece of social currency that is, whatever, uh, 50 to $250. And there, and the amazing thing is, is that there is, um, there's a connection point at both ranges of the spectrum. You know, Air Force One is the most iconic shoe in the entire world. It's under a hundred dollars. And it means so much to people. Um, you know, and you can say that for a bunch of different sneakers, Vans connects to a consumer in an, inc- in incredible ways and, and is under a hundred dollars. And so it's, it's really nice when culture and art and connected stories and athletes and music and musicians and, um, or cause they're all, they're all part of sneaker design and sneaker culture. And it's, uh, and it's the, and it's the reason that it, it continues. Cause those stories are, those stories are endless. And, um, and I feel fortunate, you know, I tell people all the time that, I've sort of grown to to not like marketing as much as I used to, but what I do love is a great idea. And I love a great idea connected to a great product. And I love the idea of telling that idea and that product story. And that is what makes sneaker culture so amazing. It's great idea, great product with a great story. It's not fabricated at all. It's truly authentic. So why don't you like marketing as much as you used to? I don't like marketing for the sake of marketing. I like authenticity and I like context and I love great storytelling, but I, I need context. I need context. And, and I think that the best, and I want to be a business partner first. And I think when you separate the two, um, it ends up to be marketing for the sake of marketing. And when you bring the two together, you're bringing in the connection of idea and product and story. And that's where the amazing thing happens. So again, if marketing is the blend of those three things and telling incredible connected product stories, I think that's amazing. If marketing is being done with the absence of the connection to a context, which it often is, I, I struggle with that. How do you be sure that doesn't happen at Foot Locker? How do you keep marketing connected to business and context? Well. A, we're fortunate to have tremendous talent in the company and tremendous um, individuals and tremendous leadership. And uh, so I think that's paramount. I also think, like I said, we're, we're blessed with having great connected product stories and, um, and great partners to who make amazing product. Um, you know, we have incredible consumer platforms to tell those stories on where consumers are hungry to learn. 
So, I mean, it, you know, it's another reason that, that sneaker culture has continued to, to boom. There's an aggregate of audience on, on something like an Instagram that, that is just wants to consume sneaker culture. So, um, so as technology and social has advanced, uh, it's, it's increased the passion for sneakers and made our ability to storytell all that much more easy. I, I will say um, that, and I think this is really important, um, you know, and I've, I've said this before, I think there was a point in, in our business where the design was sometimes not connected to the story. And instead the design was being inspired by a story. And what, what, what tended to happen there is the design would get made, but you couldn't relate the two together because of rights or it wasn't, it wasn't close enough brought together. And then the product was handed off to a bunch of marketing people in the last six weeks and said, Oh, go figure out how to bring this to market. And that I did not like. And I think a big change at the industry in a whole. And I, I would like to think that we were a part of this change and. Um, and what we what the way that our cheesy way of explaining that was we wanted concepts over colorways um, was we really wanted the idea to be rooted into the design. And whether that was a license or a third party or a creator or a traditional way of collaborating or an idea, we wanted it rooted tr into the design. And that makes the storytelling of the product much, much easier. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. All right, now let's go back a bit in your career. You went to George Washington in Washington, D.C., of course. And then instead mm -hmm. of joining a big company like I did, you know, P&G, you basically did startup work with companies that you founded. And you did that for eight years. And then you joined an established right? company. Yeah, yeah. You did that for eight years. <laughs> and then you joined Medell's, you know, and, and, yep. then, and then you ended up at Foot Locker. But tell us about that. It's a non-traditional path for a kid coming out of school. You had two companies that I think you founded. You stuck with uh, it. So could you tell us about that adventure and what leadership lessons, most importantly, you took from that time forward into the person you are today? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, I still consider myself an entrepreneur today. Uh, um, and, um, and I think the entrepreneur spirit has helped me move um, along in my career and, and push at different companies to continue to diversify and evolve. Uh, and it also had, you know, when you, so yeah, I was part of a group that started Dime Magazine and then we had bought another magazine and then we had an online digital network of sites. And then we uh, had an agency um, called 94 by 50 um, and all of which are, were, have been really successful. Um, and, uh, but you don't get there without a lot of hard work and hustle and also a lot of help. 
and a lot of humility. You know, you make a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, you apologize for a lot of things that you didn't, you don't even think that you did wrong because you can't afford to lose business. Um, and it's just easier to apologize. So there's, you know, you learn a lot that, and, and a lot of those things that I've learned, I've applied to the, you know, I went to a middle, a mid-sized company, a mid-sized, um, individually owned company, um, or family owned, I should say with Modell sporting goods for a couple of years. And then I went to a bigger public corporation at Locker, and I've taken all the learnings along the way. But the thing that the, the, the biggest things that hasn't left me from that startup culture is being an entrepreneur and, and what comes with it. And that is hard work, hustle, um, and, and humility. You know, I used to say that like, I wasn't all, all I wasn't just the person who was like pitching, but I was also the person sometimes creating, and I was also the person depositing checks at the bank. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, and, and if anybody came into our office at that point and were above that, I, to me, that was, you know, that pretense was not cool. What are you proudest about in those, those years when you built Dime and you built 94 by 50? Hmm. Um, it's still amazing to me today when people, I, I, I think we found a gap in, in, in with, with Don. I, I think, you know, and I, first of all, we were way ahead of the curve. We 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 were taking a print publication into a in, um, into a digital format. For those who, are, who aren't familiar with Dime's platform, explain that, Jed. Dime um, was a is a basketball cultural magazine. So it, was, it, it sort of looked at the game. The, the idea was the game, the player, the life. It, it really looked at the off court personality of basketball. Um, and I think a we were ahead of the curve of looking at basketball as a culture more than a sport. Um, and we were also ahead of the curve taking, um, a digital first look, um, approach. And this was in 2001. So I, I, you know, I, 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 I really am proud that sort of always, I, I feel like we've always been ahead of the curve. We had a digital network of sites and including really popular sites like hoop, hoops, hype, real GM, nice kicks. These are really popular sites still today. Um, where we were representing, representing their sites from a revenue perspective and then digital Digital networks became the norm for a little. I mean, so we were way ahead of the curve, um, and I, and I, and, I'm, and that's probably what I've I've tried to pride myself on my entire career is being ahead of the curve and being a creative problem solver and seeing the future um, business opportunities and not being short sighted and and so I you know those are things that I'm still super proud of. So you went to Models, which is a medium sized company. Why did you do that? And was that a tough transition after you're running your own thing for eight years? Yeah, so I was 28 or 29 at the time, and we had been doing some work for them as an agency. And a, a really good friend of mine, who's still a great friend of mine and, and um, named Seth Horowitz, was the president of Models at the time. And and we had been doing a lot of good work, and he'd been always, he was always picking my brain and, and you know, my you know, and, and he came to me and said, listen, you know, we've had seven years of negative traffic. We've had blank years of negative sales and, and I've been put in a position to turn this around and I need, I need you, I need to bring you in and I'm going to make you senior vice president of marketing for this. There, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of million dollar heritage brand. It was the oldest sporting goods company in the world. And I had been doing the startup thing for a long time, and this seemed like a, a career opportunity with a with somebody who I knew was a great leader 
and brilliant mind leading the ship. And, uh, you know, 28, 29 to go to being the senior vice president of, of marketing, you know, it was something that I couldn't turn down. And also it was a business problem to solve. And I'm so proud of the work that we did in those two years. I am incredibly proud of the work we did in those two years. And um, there was a lot of things that, of course, weren't perfect about the experience. And that's also great learning. You take a lot of that. You take a lot of that into your into your next job. Um, and I did. And uh, when I went to Foot Locker, well, first of all, you would have thought there was a bigger learning curve when I went, when I went from a small startup brand and into there. But it, there really wasn't. There really wasn't nearly as much. And I ran the department like I ran an agency a little bit. And, um, and so that was helpful for me because I had full reign to do that. Um, and I, and I probably wanted the first year over again after it ended, but we did some great things in the first year. And I could say that almost about every year of my entire career. There was of course an adjustment going from, from models to Foot Locker, but you know, adjusting is part of the game. So why, why did you jump from models to Foot Locker? You know, Seth was the, Seth was the leader of Models and, and had, um, was the leader I came to work for and had stepped away from the organization, um, for, for some alignment reasons. And, and, um, I stayed for a little while. He was my partner in crime and the vision, the person whose vision I was behind, I, I was there for. And when the opportunity, um, and actually I had, I had two opportunities at the exact same time, one with Under Armour, ironically, in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. and one with it with um foot locker and um it was, it was it was an amazing too many short stops problem i mean two incredible brands and one of them ha happened to be in new york where i wanted to stay um and and uh and you know it, it was time and and you know maybe two years feels like a short amount of time in that position but you just know and it was time and and i really um i was ready for and again foot locker was a continuation in my journey and it was going into a lot of, um, they want, they, they wanted some, some transformation there as well. And in, in, in a little bit more of a modern way that models was ready for. And that was a, an, in great interest to me. And we were producing a lot more content and athletes. And that, that was something that was dynamically interesting to me at the time. And it's such a, and both and Foot Locker, and it was a great brand and opportunity. Now, your current role, you've been in Foot Locker 10 years, and I was, I thought I knew the company reasonably well until I started kind of digging and doing my research before our discussion today. And I was pretty blown away, frankly. I didn't realize the roots go back to Woolworths, like in 1879. Uh, yeah. you, do, you do about seven and a half billion, 30,000 employees or so, 3,000 stores, 27 countries, about nine brands, investments in emerging companies and technologies. You launched Greenhouse, an innovation hub, about two years ago. So, I mean, wow, first. Yeah. And, and I'd Were love you, you to- I, By the way, I, I just got exhausted. <laughs> right. Well, I do want you to react to a bit, a bit of that, but I want you to tell us a bit about what you're learning about keeping this established legacy company evolving, changing, preparing it to be competitive in the future. Foot Locker has tremendous leadership and values, and it really does. Dick Johnson is our CEO. He's a phenomenal person, um, and he puts the power in the in the people's hands. And he's made he's made great decisions. and And he and the company, 
have a tremendous, and I, I mentioned this about myself, but I, I have tremendous self-awareness. And it, that is so incredibly important. And the part of being, part of being self-aware is, is realizing that things are moving fast and you have to move fast as well. And, and transformation, it's not a one-time pivot <laughs> to use mm-hmm. sort of a, yeah. some, some corporate lingo. It's not that it's, it's continuous. And so when you say everything we just did, and, and I could add on to that, by the way, of course you could, you know, we re, we, we relaunched, we threw out all of our individual brand loyalty programs and launched a single loyalty program that's sort of the bonvoy of sneakers. I mean, we've done, we've continued to transform and elevate. And I will say that we also have the self-awareness to know that we have worked to do. We have worked to do in, in really important categories of our business. And, um, and the, the great thing I can tell you is that I know the company is, is refuses to settle um, and will continue to move forward. And, and, um, has their focus on the right growth areas and understands where the shortcomings are and, and, um, and is willing to invest. Now, I know you said you've gotten the self-awareness through experience and their age. Have there been uh, mentors, bosses, colleagues who've helped you with that? And, and if, if there has been, what was it about their example or their advice that was you know, developmental for you? Yeah. I mean, I've learned from an incredible amount of people. Um, uh, you know, I, I, uh, and, and I, and I can root it down to my, my parents, you know, um, and, uh, you know, and it, you know, even I lost my father at a pretty young age and that when I was a senior in high school. So that moment starts offering you perspective and just flips the switch to being a little bit more grown up and seeing the world a little bit differently than you did the day before. Um, and both my parents were, inc- are an incredible humans. Um, and I, honestly studying abroad, I lived in South Africa for a year that made a huge difference in my life. It's just seeing how other people live at a young, at a pretty young age. And then, um, coming out of that and going into the workplace and, um, and taking the good and the bad from a whole lot of people. And, you know, I feel really fortunate to have had people like Seth, Horowitz, who I mentioned before, and um, Stacy Cunningham, who was my first boss here, and Andy Gray, who's currently my boss here, is a great human, and um, and and Dick, and I mentioned Dick Johnson, who's our CEO. I feel, and and Frank Bracken, who's our North American. I mean, we, I feel, and I take, oh, and all of them are so different, and I, I've taken so much from each of them, and I just could try to continue. Um, I just try to continue to to learn from everybody, you know, and I think that's all you can ask for. Um, I, I I am believe I am a believer that you uh, that you do need sponsorships throughout your career, as Stacey Cunningham would say. I'm not as much of a believer in mentorship, but I do believe in sponsorship. Yeah, I I want to pause on that for a minute, Jed, because I think it's so powerful. You know, when I joined P and G as a young guy. I just remember watching so many different kinds of people and how they operated. And it was a learning lab for looking at different leadership styles, different approaches, different ways to run meetings, to think about creativity, to work with agencies, to work with customers, to watch them in meetings when things were not going well. And I just had my eyes wide open for all these different leadership. They weren't all mentors of mine, but I just thought, what do I like about what that person is doing? What do I not like? 
And I think if you're, if yeah. you're all, if your radar is always up to learn from what's around you, I think you, you just become a better leader every day. Now let's talk about this global CMO job you're in now. And I want to start with, you were the North American CMO. How are these jobs? We talked about influence versus line management, mm-hmm. but how else are these roles different? And how did that North America job help you get off to a fast start in this global job? Well, Foot Locker Inc. is very different in North America than it is around the, the world. Because in, 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 in North America, um, we're a portfolio company. Right. So we have all those multiple brands that you mentioned before. We're portfolio companies. So even when you think about the loyalty program, it um in the when you're a portfolio too, and I say it's the bonvoy of sneakers, that means we're we're sort of incentivizing everybody to stay within our ecosystem of brands. Right. Just like in Bonvoy, you're incentivizing everybody to stay within your hotel family. And um in 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 the other countries, we are primarily just foot locker. Champs has a growing international presence. Um, and, uh, we have a, a, a division in Europe called sidestep as well, but primarily it's just footlocker. So it's, it, even from when you think about the loyalty, it's a single, it's almost a single loyalty program. And there are, so there are additional challenges and, and ways to think about it. And when you are footlocker Inc as a company, which represents what you said, as you said, nine different brands, but the name of the corporation and the name of the global brand is the same. That is actually an interesting challenge and, um, both organizationally and structurally and, um, and then also even from a, uh, who gets credit and go and a go to market. And then whenever you're a global brand as a whole, and you're trying to get global alignment, um, and there's a lot of regional differences between Asia, Australia, Europe, and within the different countries in Europe, Canada, North and, and the U S it's. It, there, there, there's some pain there. There's some, there's some challenges there. And, um, and, and so that's something that I hadn't had to engage with before. And I, um, I mean, when I was the head of Foot Locker brand, I did engage with it, but now I'm, I, I, I feel very responsible for bringing it all together. And, um, you know, we're moving towards a 50th anniversary of Foot Locker and I, and in a few years, and that's on my mind already as how do we celebrate that globally and how do we get closer as a brand, as one company to unite into that and really celebrate the amazing heritage and sneaker culture and community. So, you know, those are the, you know, those are the biggest ways that, that, that I'm, that the role has changed. I would say a lot of it, I was, some of it, I was very engaged with already because we didn't have a global CMO before, but I formally taking on the role um, and making those an everyday part of my accountabilities has, has been um, a, a healthy challenge. Why did the company decide to put you in place as global CMO for the, First time. Oh man, isn't there somebody else you should ask that question to? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have you now. Um, You know, I think for all the reasons I just said, I mean, we, you know, um, I think that there is opportunity to pull us closer together as a company to have, to be more unified, to have better cross-functional communication, to bring processes you know, I, I'm a believer in informal communication, of course, but there's a there, there's a time and a place to make things a lot more formalized, and I think we're we're there. Um, we 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 also changed the the overarching structure of the organization. We created a global commercial unit, so we had a global product lead, and we had a global marketing lead, and we reported to a, 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 a 
a global lead. And um, that, that was a really good streamlining change to the organization. So I think the idea of making us a closer knit company with better cross-functional communication and more unified um, programs and, um, and, and, and messaging and then best practices was something that we, we, we had the self-awareness to understand that we needed. Yeah. So where are you focused right now, Jed? If I had to think about your top three or top four priorities as global CMO, what are they? I think I, I mentioned this earlier, but more, more than anything, I look at myself as a business partner and to the, to the organization. And I, and I, I think more than anything, I am focused on making sure our major focus is on uh, our growth initiatives and making sure that all of our brand uh, banners, brands around the, around the world are focusing on those two. And I'm, I, you know, I think that's a little bit moving into the direction of great idea, great product, great story. Um, and so for me, having our brands focus, having our brands focus on our growth, uh, growth initiatives, kids, women, consumer growth, acquisition and retention and distinction. And some, so th- those are the places that I'm, I'm really focused on, uh, for for the future and formally making sure we're set up to deliver to those. How do your KPIs differ in this job versus the North America job? I mean, are you still figuring that out or do you feel like they're pretty firm? So I think we're, we're relooking at, at some of the KPIs overall anyway. And, uh, uh, you know, part of the reason from a marketing perspective is that there is a whole slew of, of, of changes to the way that we're able to um, measure. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of new privacy policies in place and a whole lot more coming that does affect the way that we can understand correlation, um, w- which is an interesting challenge as well. And that I am tackling and I'm, I'm tackling from the place of how we're moving towards focusing on those growth initiatives anyway. So I'm bringing those two, um, conversations together. Um, I want us focusing on. Um, our growth targets and acquisition and retention; those are our KPIs. So our gro- we have we 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 have five or six different product growth targets. Those are directly related to demand creation, demand capture, and then our customer growth, which is acquisition and retention. So those um, are how I look at our KPIs. We talk about brand purpose a fair amount on this podcast. Does that concept have relevance for Foot Locker Inc.? One hundred and ten percent. The other place that we are investing is from a community perspective and a purpose perspective, um, and uh, and um, we have. Uh, you asked about the last eighteen months, and I think we were always a purpose-driven organization, but now it is super deeply rooted into our company. Um, you know, we I, we are fortunate to already have employee resource groups um, set up. Um, I'm actually the executive sponsor of our laced differently, which is, um, which is geared towards special needs, which is obviously a, a, a place near and dear to my heart. Um, and, um, and we actually released two products. We released an accessible shoe recently, mm. um, with the, with, uh, um, we had two, one with Puma and one with Diodora for autism, for autism month with money going back to autism speaks and. All of our different teams have done unbelievable work in the last 18 months that I'm so incredibly proud of. We launched an initiative called LEAD, um, Leading Economic and Education Development, and we um, announced that we were um, investing $200 million into, uh, you know, into making the industry, our industry, um, look more like our customer base. And that's um, increasing the amount of Black-owned 
brands that we're supporting, both from a marketing perspective, a creator perspective, a product perspective. And part of that is, is in education and grants, um, and scholarships. And part of that is identifying, um, brands that, that we've not purposely, but subconsciously the industry has set up barriers and finding ways to make sure that we are um, applying relief to those barriers. So I am incredibly proud of the organization and, and all we're doing from a purpose perspective. And um, I'm super active in it. And uh, I, I mean, I, it's pride month and, and um, I, we there's incredible activations that, that the team is doing and the ERG is doing. And uh, it's just, it's full locker rings, a special place. Yeah, I'm gathering. Okay, Jed, I want to move to the last section of this, which we call the Creator Brief, where we get some insights about you as a human being and as a leader, more insights about you as a human being and a leader. I'm a dad. You're a dad. How would your kids describe you? <laughs> uh, um, my older son, Jackson, who will be 17, uh, I would, I, and I could told you he, um, I mean, he is my best friend and he, um, I am, um, he is my best, he's going to be my best man at my wedding in, um, in next year. And, uh, I think he will tell you that I am his biggest fan that I, um, I, I would like to say that he would say I'm funny and kind. Um, um, but also that, uh, you know, I think he would say that I'm fair. But, you know, I also joke, like, his friends are, like, they're, like, my best friends at this point in my life, too. Like, like you know, I, 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 he allows me to hang out with them. So I'm hoping that I would hope that he would think that I'm a cool dad. My little guy um, would definitely think I'm silly. And, uh, but I joke all the time because I swear kids look at me and see Shrek. Like, they, like. It's not a bad thing. Kids, like. Within eight seconds of of kids being around me, they're climbing on me. I'm, you know, I I've been known to juggle a few times in front of kids. I can juggle, so um, you know, I think I'm. I think I would hope that they would think that I'm playful, and you know, I would hope. I the real hope is that they would think I was present, and I I am so challenged with that. I mean, I am like I'm not perfect there by any means whatsoever, but I I would love to be. I would love to be better at that. So, they must love you're in the sneaker business, right? And the apparel. Business. Oh my! My older son does. Yeah, my older son does. I mean, he is a he's 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 a little bit of a sneakerhead, and I mean, he's an he's a great athlete. You know, I feel lucky to be have my career and have a relationship that that where the two things link. Most memorable marketing campaign or marketing launch you have been a part of. I have, I mean, so, I mean, if you go back, we've done some incredible, incredible, incredible work. And, um, so we, we, for when I was there, we had a tagline that was the idea there was approved. And, you know, the, you know, the idea was that if it's, if it's at Foot Locker, it's approved and that you can pick up anything off our walls or online and know that you're good to go, that you're going to stand out without sticking out. See, I have my whole spiel mm -hmm. still remote. Yeah. Um, we still have a, um, a program that during Thanksgiving week that, um, that we call week of greatness and it's, or we did 12 days of greatness last year. And there was a, um, there was a year that we said the week of greatness made all is right in the world. And in that campaign, it's the most famous TV spot we've ever done. 
and, and, and I'll ever do. But in that campaign, um, Tyson gives Holyfield his ear back. Brett Favre knows it's time to hang him up. Dennis Rodman gets sent on a one-way trip to North Korea, one way. And um, actually in the, in, in the spot as well, um, Craig Sager, actually, who I um, became, you know, became somewhat close with on that shoot, actually, for, the, for that weekend, um, he uh, burned his jackets. And the whole spot is magical. It's, it's a, it's a magical piece of creative, creative Kyrie Irving leads it off and it's called all is right in the world. And it is, it, it, I, I mean, I have goosebumps thinking about it. it and we did an unbelievable amount of great, great, great creative. And I, you know, um, we, we were a big reason that Pacquiao Mayweather happened. True story. Look it up. Hmm. Um, and, um, we did an incredible, incredible creative. I, I mean, we did an amazing spot with Tom Brady where he made famous famous spot making fun of the flake gate and so i mean we 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 did um, some amazing pieces with james harden who we had a really long time um partnership with and and i'm and i'm incredibly proud of the creative that that we put out during that time and there's there are some magical spots i wouldn't be here today without the without all of that creative i just recorded a podcast with Sophie Bambuk at Everlane, who used to be at Nike. She was there and I asked her her KPIs for a great brand. And she said, goosebumps. Huh. You just use that word. I, it's funny. I mean, you know, and by the way, I have a, my, I, I joke, but my work wife is somebody named Francine Fetter, who um, she's the best. Um, she is, I, I feel incredibly fortunate. I, she's the best advertising creative leader in the industry and Foot Locker has had her there for a long, she also has an amazing understanding of media and she leads our, she leads our North American integrated marketing team, and she, but she's a, an absolute pro. So what do you think, what do you hope the sneaker category looks like 10 years from now? I know it'll continue to innovate and um, they'll continue to be great new product stores. I would say that the one thing I, I would hope for is that there are more brands in our industry that, that, make it and i would say black owned brands as well sneakers is such a hard space to break into and part of that is the is the manufacturing and the the other big thing that i would tell you that i would love to see happen is for a quicker to market um manufacturing and domestic as well sneakers are a very hard and long process to build so you're building out stories 15 months out and quick turn product is, is, is hard and much more expensive to produce. So I would love there to be innovation in that space so we can be a whole lot more relevant to consumers. Um, because you know the materials are going to be, you know, sustainability, the industry is doing amazing things there. Um, and that's going to continue to advance. You know, technology is going to continue to advance and you know, there's always going to be stories. So I, I would love to see the industry get a little bit more quick to market somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, so we can be as relevant as, you know, when we're getting to the connecting the idea and the product. Jed, who would you like to hear in the CMO podcast? Woof. Who would I like to hear in the CMO podcast? Um, I got you. I'm going to give you a good one. And he's a great friend of mine. Okay. Maybe you can help on this. Um, his name is Paul Rivera. Oh, yeah. He goes by PR. He is the CMO of Spring Hill, LeBron James and yeah, sure. um, com company. And they have done amazing work in so many different facets that nobody knows about. 
Um, and I, I, we used to work together. He's a great friend of mine and I'm, I, I am goosebumps proud of him. This is weird, Jed. I was having a team meeting about the future of this podcast and how we innovate. And we said we have to get Paul on as one of the future guests. Isn't that funny? That is a phone call I'd love to make. And he's a great, he's a, he's, he's a special human. Well, let's do it. Hey, last word to you. Anything for me before we sign off? I'm just so thankful. I mean, this was, this was really great. And I'd probably say more on this podcast than I do normally. And, uh, that's what I try to do. And I appreciate the ability to, to be open and share some wisdom and, um, and, you know, share my story. So I appreciate it. Jed, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity and your authenticity and your honesty. It's been a great discussion. That was my conversation with Jed Berger. Three takeaways from this one for your business and your life. The first one is the importance of connecting marketing to the business. Jed talked about that over and over again. He says great marketing is when you connect product to stories and that you are hardwired to the company's business goals. Second takeaway, the incredible opportunity we all have to learn from every leader around us. From the beginning of our career to the end, we have bad bosses, we have great bosses. Every one of them is a learning opportunity. Keep your ears and eyes open. What do you like about a certain boss and not like and integrate that into your leadership approach? And the final takeaway, the importance of self-awareness. Jed talked about this a lot. It comes with experience. It comes with age, but there are ways to accelerate it. Self-awareness is about understanding when you're at your best. It's being okay with making mistakes and it's relying on your inner self to make decisions versus others and the optics from others. And I'd say the bonus takeaway is this guy is one great dad. It was sort of a podcast about being uh, a friend of your kids and a role model for your kids and just being there for them when it counts. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.